I remember a lot of years ago when I was in college, I was in Bible college, I was studying to be a preacher, a pastor, right? And uh, I used to hang out with these guys. I was playing in a rock band at the time, and, and uh, the lead singer of our band, uh, his name was Sean, and uh, uh, he, he, we kind of looked like Bon Jovi back in the day without all the good look part of it, just put the crazy hair and the clothes. And uh, he actually looked like Janie Lane from Warrant, but don't tell anybody, right? And uh, so uh, he was a great, good guy. We had a lot of fun together. He was kind of crazy. And uh, at that time in my life, uh, I was relatively young in my Christian faith and uh, really trying to figure it out. And I was on fire and I really believed that, that God had changed my life and that God had called me to big things and to do crazy things. And, and I wasn't afraid at all uh, to share my faith, to really stand up for my faith. And, and so um, I would go down to uh, you know, the gay bar district, right? And, and, and talk about Jesus to the gay community. And I would go to the clubs and to the bars and the hangouts and all that kind of stuff. And, and I would just share about what Christ has done and I would just let them know that they are loved by God. And so this was just part of who I was at the time. And, and it wasn't like a temptation for me or anything like that. So it was kind of easy to do that. Uh, but one day, Sean comes in to, uh, to, to meet me and we were playing some music together. And he says, oh, I feel God leading me to do something crazy. And I said, what's that? You know, we were always doing this kind of thing. And he, I said, what's that? What do, you, what do you feel like we should do? And he says, uh, have you heard of this new club in town called Deja Vu? And I'm like, Deja Vu? And I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about. And he says, uh, well, it's a gentleman's club. And I said, whoa, 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 what are you, what are you saying here? And he goes, well, I feel God uh, calling me, leading me uh, to, to go down to this new club it's a strip club right and he says I, I feel God calling me to go down to this to this club in order to uh, to talk to the guys before they go in and maybe try to help them and to keep them from doing this and and I'm thinking to myself this is probably not a good idea you know I'm a newlywed at the time and and um, I like women just as much as the next guy does right and uh, and I'm like going I don't know man this this is like that's way too much temptation it's too dangerous and uh, you know, it's crazy and they're not gonna let us do that anyways. He says, oh no, no, we'll stay at the edge of the parking lot and we'll we'll try to talk to the guys before they come in. And I'm like, man, I just don't know about that, you know? And, and he gets kind of upset with me and says, man, well, where's your faith and where's your drive for God? Don't you care about people? This is ruining people's lives. And, and I'm like, listen, man, I, if you wanna do it, you, you go and do it. But for me, I'm like, that is tough. That's risky, you know? And so, uh, uh, he, he goes out and does it and we get together again in a, in a few weeks, you know, we're playing music kind of regularly together and uh, and he comes back and I'm like, man, how, you know, how, how's that going? That was kind of a crazy idea. And and he says, well, didn't work out exactly like I, I thought it would. And I'm like, what do you mean? And he goes, well, you know, it's kind of gotten colder and it was in Indiana and so it was getting cold. And uh, and I said, yeah, what are you, you going to do in the winter? Stand outside in the parking lot? It ain't going to happen. And he goes, no, what I've done is I decided to move inside, right? And I'm like, wait, wait, inside? He goes, well, not really inside. He goes, you know how there's a, those like double doors, right? And there's black on the outside and it's kind of dark glass on the inside. He goes, I'm standing like in between the doors and I'm like at the edge of hell and I'm trying to, to minister to these guys. I'm like, man, Sean, you're crazy. I mean, come on, when the door opens, you don't see inside. He goes, oh no, I turned my back and I'm making sure I'm not looking and I'll, I'm like, Sean, you're, 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 you're flirting with fire. You're, you're, you're playing with fire. This is gonna, 
this is gonna come up and burn you one day. I mean, that's, it's, this is not a good idea. You're getting sucked in, man, and, and you're just like me, you're just like anybody. You're gonna be tempted here, and you're gonna, you're gonna fall to this, man. I'm telling you, not a good idea. And uh, he gets upset with me again, and he says, well, if you don't wanna reach him, I'm gonna reach him. Well, the funny thing is, of course, um, over the next you know, couple months, uh, the phone calls become less and less and our get-togethers become less and less. And uh, Sean was in the same Bible program that I, that I was in and uh, uh, he was studying to be a preacher just like, just like me. And he had all the fire and all the passion for God. Uh, but eventually I'm like going, where's Sean? I mean, he's no longer really part of my life and not part of our circle of friends. And uh, he's making all kinds of excuses why he can't connect with me and get together and that sort of a thing. And he's not at church. And, and, and guess what? It wasn't very long uh, before I heard that he dropped out of the uh, program that we were in in college and eventually dropped out of ministry altogether. So, of course, later you hear the backstory, and Sean was just sucked into this world and literally went off the deep end and fell just in every single way. Uh, there is a saying that we have been poking around at for years at Metro, uh, and it goes something like this, that nothing takes you further, farther from the heart of God faster than sexual immorality, nothing. There's nothing that will destroy your heart. There's nothing that will keep you from God's best. There's nothing that will shame you more. There is nothing that will chain you tighter. There is nothing that will hold you back from God's best uh, that it, bigger than sexual morality. It is everywhere in our world. It calls to you and it grows inside of you. Uh, and, and if we don't figure out a way to check this, if we don't figure out a way to, to put this off, uh, we are going to be in trouble. We really are. So we've been in this series called The Tupperware Gospel, and uh, I don't know if you've been here for the whole thing, but the whole idea is that uh, we are in Christ, and when Christ is in us, it changes everything. Uh, far too often we think that the Christian experience is just God with us, that God's around us, but but we've been in this book called Colossians. It's one of the books in the New Testament part of the Bible. And the whole idea is that Christ isn't just with you, but he is in you, that he comes and he takes up residence in you. His spirit comes and lives inside of you and that it changes the whole God-man relationship. It changes everything about us. It really, really does. And, and so uh, we've been journeying through this book of Colossians. And so Paul comes to this point where he says there are some things that we're looking for satisfaction in uh, that is just simply not going to fill us. That if Christ is our hope, that if Christ is in us and that Christ is our joy, our pleasure, our greatest satisfaction, then there are some things in our life that we have to put off. Pastor Greg was talking last week about how because we are hidden in Christ, we should seek God most. Think about that, because we're hidden in Christ, we should seek God most because He is our life, He is our joy, and He will fill us in ways that nothing else can, can fill us. But the problem is, is that there are some things that come between us and God. There are some things that separate us, and Paul uses some pretty strong language in this next section where he says, you need to put off certain things. You need to get rid of them. He actually uses this language that says, you need to put to death 
some things that grow inside of you. And I know it's a struggle sometimes to even admit this, but uh, there are some things that we've got to put to death in our life. There are some things that we've got to change. There, there really are. Uh, because if we don't grow and if we don't change, if we don't move forward, we'll end up being just like my friend who got sucked into a place just like this. And, and there's nothing that will take you further, farther, faster from the heart of God than sexual morality. Nothing. And so Paul actually begins with this list of sexualized thinking that takes us away from the heart of God. And I just want to go through this a little bit uh, with you today. So if you have a Bible, I would love for you to turn to the book of Colossians, and we're going to find the third chapter. So you can go to Google right now, or you can get a, an old-fashioned Bible. We will turn the lights up a little bit in the auditorium right now for you. And uh, we want you to find the book of Colossians, chapter 3. Paul begins to take this concept a little bit further, this idea that you have an active role in this, that I have an active role in this, that we've got to purpose to grow our faith. We've got a purpose to change some things about us. And so he starts off with this language in, in verse 5. He says, put to death, therefore, and then listen, this idea of put to death, therefore, that therefore is there for a reason. So he says, in light of what, what we know about what Christ has done for us, in light of the fact that he wants us to grow, he wants us to change, in the light that he's come and taken up residence within us, in the light that, that he is our greatest pleasure, our greatest joy, he says, look for more of me, get more of me into your life. He says, therefore, put to death, and he uses this very heavy-handed language. I mean, it's, it's violent language. Language. In other words, there are things in our life, there's things in my life and things in your life that we tend to just live with. And he's like, you got to be kidding me. You need to put it to death. It's like you've been struggling with that forever. It's like, uh, you know, uh, me and my, my, my buddies, we were just talking about the, the battle of the bulge, right? We were just talking about uh, trying to lose weight and how we've been playing with this forever. And so we just committed, like we're talking five minutes ago, we just committed to a 30-day uh, carb-free challenge and we're on the record. We are in the record. We are going to battle. We are going to put this thing to death and we are going to lose some weight, okay? Once and for all. But that's what he says. He says, there are some things going on in your soul that you're going to have to go to war against. You're going to have to come against. You're going to have to put it to death. And then listen to this. He says, these things belong to your earthly nature. In other words, they're inside of you. They live in you. They're not from God. They, they, they come from being part of humanity. Uh, they come from the brokenness of man, the sinfulness of man, the fall of man, right? And then it says this. Here's the list he gives us. He says, put to death those things that belong to the sinful nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, all of this which is idolatry. So he, he makes this little list for us, and he starts off big, sexual immorality. And, and I want you to notice something, that every single thing on this little list is sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, uh, greed or coveting. All of these have to do with the eye. All of these have to do with sexual desire. And, and I want you to think about where this goes. Um, he starts off big. Sexual immorality is anything that you do to fulfill yourself sexually outside of marriage. Woo! Jay, come on! Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We're talking movies. We're talking uh, magazines. We're talking the internet. We're talking uh, your phone. Anything that is designed to bring you sexual satisfaction outside of this thing called marriage. And if you dig deep, he goes and he says it starts. Uh, he, he starts with the big picture, but each one goes deeper. And he talks about uh, this idea of impurity, right? Your heart just dwelling on these things. And then he talks about uh, evil desires and lust, right? And then he goes all the way down.
down to the idea of coveting, greed, wanting something. And it's about the eyes. It's about, it's about going deeper and deeper and deeper into your life. And let me tell you something. The reason he battles it like this, the reason he says it like this is that you and I, if we're going to beat the things that keep tracking, uh, tracking us, the things that keep holding on to us, the sin that's deep inside of us, listen to me. He says we've got to drill deep. It's more than just the final act. It's deeper than that. It's looking where you look. It's looking to where you find satisfaction, what you desire. He goes deep inside of us to find out where to stop this, to put this to death. It starts with the eyes. It starts with the eyes. And I want to introduce you to a friend of mine who has been through this struggle. And he's learned a couple things about, about the battle. It started off for me at a really young age. Um, you know, I. I grew up in an era where pornography was very accessible, it was really easily accessible. And I think now we're finally starting to see like the effects of that with our generation. I'm 32 years old and the impact of pornography is pretty intense. I've grown up since I was a kid not knowing anyone my age or younger that didn't struggle with pornography. Uh, most people wouldn't call it a porn addiction because that just seems like you're some crazy pervert, but um, it is what it is. I, I guess I, if I went back to the beginning, the first time I saw like a, any kind of pornographic image was I was really young. Me and a friend, we were probably in third grade or fourth, and we were uh, walking around the block to his house and in a bush there was just this magazine opened up and being like young curious little kids um, we stopped and looked at it and we're trying to process what we had just saw it was uh, it was a really shameful experience um, but then the curiosity kind of peaks again and then the same friend had some magazines of his dad's and so we'd look at those and um, it just bred this addictive cycle. And when it starts when you're really young, that's when Satan gets your heart. He really does. Once the internet kind of came around, that's what took hold. And it became an addictive cycle. And, you know, I was chasing after a feeling, you know, the dopamine that would be released in your brain. I was chasing after that, that feeling and that high. They say when you look at pornography and you have like a release that it's just as addicting as heroin. I don't know how true that is, but it definitely felt like where I was at. You know, I struggled with this thing from probably seventh grade on. I kept wanting to break away and get freedom from it, but I couldn't find the freedom. I kept thinking when I turn 13, it won't be a problem and I'll just stop looking at it. When I turn 16, you know, it'll be different, and then I'll stop. When I turn 18, and then, then it went to when I get married, I'll stop, and I won't, I won't look at this stuff. Uh, but it just, it doesn't go away. Um, marriage didn't even fix it. It actually just brought more problems. And uh, when I got into about my 20s, it was hard to go longer than two weeks without looking at pornography. Uh, I did have a relationship with Jesus, and looking back, even though I've questioned it sometimes, I know that I did have a personal relationship with Jesus, and it was strong. But pornography really hindered that, 
and it blinded me from a lot of stuff I didn't see before. And the biggest problem for me was that because of the generation I grew up in with the internet, I didn't know anyone my age that wasn't looking at pornography uh, on a regular basis and that wasn't struggling with it. We'd go to you know, youth groups, um, I'd have life groups at my house. Every time guys would get together, my age or younger, uh, they would always say, it was always the common thing, all the guys in the circle, we'd start opening up and our biggest struggle was pornography and every group I'd go to, everyone was struggling with the same thing. And so I got to a point where I felt like it's not possible in our current time, in our current age, with the way technology is to 100% be free from pornography. It's just a part of uh, our life now. I thought uh, anytime I look at porn and fall, I am going to repent for as long as I can. And then if it happens again, then I'll just do the whole repentance thing again. But I knew in my heart that wasn't right, but I also just was desperate and didn't know what to do. I reached out to every adult leader that I could think to reach out to, and I could not find the answers I was looking for. So the way that I had finally found freedom was uh, close to a year ago, I got into counseling. My counselor told me about the Conquer series. And uh, what the Conquer series is, it's uh, we've done it here at our church a bunch of times. We've done it in Next Steps classes uh, and life groups. And it's a five-week course all on sexual purity. And for me, what that course did is it, it gave me the tools I needed to fight. And it helped me understand my addiction and, and my need for Jesus and, and what was going on there. Now, I had a relationship, uh, a very solid, very strong relationship with God my whole life, even though I was struggling with this sin. But it wasn't until I had those tools that I had really realized how to fight it. And uh, the tools are right from the scripture. And so every single step of the DVD points you right to scripture and uh, just puts it in a practical way. And it was something that really uh, changed my life and changed my marriage. So after I'd gone through the Conquer series, I decided to talk to my wife about oh, my porn addiction. And um, uh, I came to her because I knew that God had my best interests in mind and I had to just trust that. But I was really nervous and it was the, one of the scariest and worst things I'd ever had to do. And I ended up telling her what was going on and um, it just broke her because I had lied to her for so long. She thought that I was clean for a long time. She thought it wasn't a problem. And now I had to bring it for her again. And at first it was hard to trust God. It was hard to realize that God had my best interests in mind. Um, that was really difficult for me because I thought I had ruined my marriage and I should have just kept it to myself. And I felt like she was always gonna look at me as a liar, as someone who's dishonest and just a scumbag. Um, it just didn't feel good, it was awful. But there were some things that helped me through that time. And it was, um, honestly, it was turning to scripture and holding on to the promises that God had for me. There were scriptures that really rang true to my heart. Um, and uh, I wanna read one of them to you. It's Psalms 32, one through seven. It says this. Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight, 
Yes, what joy for those who record the Lord has cleared of guilt, whose lives are lived in complete honesty. When I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away and I groaned all day. That really is how I felt. The way that David says that, um, when I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away and I groaned all day long. That's exactly uh, how it feels. So confessing my sins was not the answer to freedom. It was a, the starting point. What it took for me uh, was some pretty drastic steps to truly find freedom. So I went to my good friend Josh Bellers. I sat down with him and I said, look man, I've confessed everything to my wife and I really truly want to change. I don't want this sin to be part of my life anymore and I cannot go to her again to tell her that I've fallen from this sin. And I just didn't want to. I couldn't hurt her again. I just, I didn't want to go through that again. And I just, I wanted to have a closer relationship with Christ. I knew I was missing out and I wanted that. Josh looked at me and he said, have you fought this fight in a way that if the world looked at you, they'd think you were crazy? And I sat there for a minute and I said, no. And he said, well, what does that look like? And so I took the day and I really uh, pondered it and, and thought and prayed about it. At first I was thinking, well, I gotta sell my laptop and I gotta get rid of my phone, I gotta get a flip phone. And then the more I thought about it, um, I kinda, I, I do video for a living and so I'm on the computer all the time and my job's a very technical job and it'd be very hard to do it without a computer. So the other problem for me is that I've tried all the blockers in the past, uh, the content blockers, web filtering, all that stuff. I've even tried the accountability software where everything you look at on your computer is sent to a friend and none of it works. Um, there's easy ways around all of that stuff, at least for a guy like me. So it was really a predicament. So what I came up with was I asked my friend James to put a password in my computer and a password on my phone. Now, every time I want to use my computer, I have to have uh, one of my friends unlock it for me or my wife. And I have to use that computer while they're around. If they're not around, the computer gets closed and that's a done deal. The other steps that I had to take was on my phone, I don't have Instagram, I don't have Facebook, I don't have YouTube, I don't have Safari. It's just the bare minimums because I use my calendar and my notes all the time, but I don't have any access to, to any kind of web content. And so um, that's what it took for me. So another reason why I came to the conclusion to, for myself not to have access to my own computer whenever I want to is because of this verse in Mark. It says, so if your eye, even your good eye, causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. By me not having access to my computer and my phone is gouging my eye out. It's really not that big of a deal. Do I want to be thrown into hell with a phone that can access the internet and go on Instagram and all that stuff? Or do I want to go to heaven without having to access that? It's really common sense. It's pretty simple. But that's the conclusion that I came to. Most guys are not willing to take those steps. But I'm telling you that if you did and if you do, uh, you'll look back and eventually think, 
That's so silly that I was holding so tightly onto this little phone. The trade-off is huge. You have this little phone that can access Safari or Facebook or whatever you do on it, or you have a new relationship with Jesus. I, I don't know, I just wish that I could go back in time and have this talk with myself because I was walking around so blind. I had no idea what I was doing to my wife. I had no idea what I was doing to my marriage and my kids. I was destroying it and I had no clue. And I had no idea what I was doing to my own soul. And I'm telling you that after I found freedom in this, my life is so much better. I don't, I don't know how to put that into words. Other than I was blind and now I see. I, I see so clearly now. And uh, if there's some way for me to communicate that, that would open up some of you guys' hearts, man, uh, it would be huge. This is what putting your sin to death looks like. It first starts with confession. Now, uh, even the Conquer Series group tells you not to tell your wife right away, that you need to find some freedom and success before you go right to your wife because of the damage it causes. But you need to confess to somebody. The Bible is very clear about confessing our sins to one another because it brings freedom. That's how you find freedom. You have to confess. And I think it's important to find a group of guys who are doing the Conquer series or whatever and uh, confess your sin. It's the first step. The second thing is this process has taken me from being a boy to being a man. If you're sitting there thinking, I can't, I can't do this, I can't confess my sins, it's too hard. Look, until you conquer this, you're never going to become the man that God has called you to be. One more thing, my wife, she did look at me like I was this dishonest uh, scumbag. She didn't tell me that, but I'm sure she did and I could see it in her eyes. But you know how God met me? He broke my heart, he got into my heart, and he told me, keep pursuing your wife. And I won her back. And the way I won her back was by giving her the password to my computer, giving up the rights to having a password to my computer, giving up my phone, and being honest. When she leaves the house, she takes the router with her and I ask her to, and if she forgets, I remind her before she leaves. So I'm not stuck there with any devices that can connect to the internet. And now she looks at me like I'm her hero, like I am fighting for her heart, and I literally am fighting for her. When we're looking at porn, we're taking a sword and we're pointing it right at our family, and we don't even realize it. That's the blinders, that's the blindness that's on your eyes, and that needs to be lifted. I just hope and pray that every guy in this church that's struggling with this can find that and experience that joy that I have found. Man, that's a very real thing for a whole bunch of us. I think I'm gonna scoot over out of the rain a little bit. Is that okay, guys? Are we good? Listen, this is a real deal for a whole bunch of us. Um, this idea uh, of, of lust, of desire, of sexual immorality, it is something that I fight, and it's something that you fight. Every single person in this room fights it to some degree or another. And, and let me just talk to the men in the room just for a moment. Um, this is especially real for us. We are driven by the eye. 
we are driven by, by what comes in through, through the eye and into our soul. And, and we get so caught up in thinking that that is where our satisfaction is going to come. That's where our needs are going to get met. And, and, and we just know that Paul says, put these things to death because they won't fully satisfy you. They won't complete you. They will, they, they will take you far from the heart of God. And it's true, nothing takes you further, farther, faster from the heart of God than sexual immorality. Nothing. As a matter of fact, um, I just want you to, to, to cue into something here. Uh, we are going to be, this summer, I'm not exactly sure when, but we're going to be doing a series just for men called the Conqueror Series. And it's all designed to beat this kind of thing in our life. And so if you struggle with this, uh, nobody's pointing a finger at you. Uh, or maybe you've been through the struggle and you're on the other side and you want to help somebody out. But this series is coming and we're going to do it during the middle of the week. And I'm going to expect every one of our men to be there. Everybody, even if you don't battle this, right? Uh, but no, I want every single man, young man, old man there. This is a real deal. As a matter of fact, if I see you in church, I'm going to look you square in the eye and say, you coming? You coming? You better be coming because this is something that we have to put to death. Now, Paul turns the corner uh, here. That's, that's good. We're All good. Right. We can go to the next spot. Hey, there's food and drink over here. We should get some. I'm hungry. Uh, Josh? It's raining. Let's go inside. Uh, did you not notice uh, <laughs> that that lady thing up on top was... That's a statue. It's exotic food. It's, spicy. Exo it's like spicy food. Yeah. Yeah. Come on. Let's... Knock it off. You're not, man. Oh, okay. Crazy dog. We're going to get in trouble if we go there. Man, it's been crazy. We've been fighting rain all day long. And so uh, special thanks to the people of Nikki's Pizza for letting us get in out of the rain. How cool is that? Uh, so we've been talking about this idea that there, that there are certain things in our life that we've got to work at, that we have to put off in order to put on the right things. We've got to take some things off our life or out of our life first uh, before, sometimes before we can get other things right. Does that make sense? Because, of course, uh, it doesn't mean that, you know, we have to clean up ourselves before we come to Christ. I'm not talking about that. But sometimes before we can take that next step, we have to get stuff out of the way. And so Paul is saying, because of this relationship that you have with Christ, you've got to put to death certain things. In order to grow, in order to become all that God wants you to become, you've got to put to death. You've got to put it out of your life and so he he kind of gives us this first list and all of it was centered around sexuality you know this idea of uh, sexual morality impurity lust uh, evil desires coveting right all of it driven through the eyes and he's saying man you better watch out what comes into the soul through your eyes but then he says this listen to this he says because of these things the wrath of God is coming and Paul just lays it out there and says that, that God is not pleased with these sorts of things in our life. These sort of things do more than just take us away from God. They, uh, they, they stir the judgment of God. They stir the wrath of God because God created us to be sexually pure, to be holy, to, to do it right in this world. And he looks at the brokenness of our world and he, and he sees how, how cheap we've made sexuality and, he, and it ticks him off. And he says, I'm going to judge the world one day. And, and so God is going to enter the scene one day. He's going to interrupt humanity. He's going to interrupt history in the middle of its flow. And he is going to do something about it. He's going to say, enough of this junk. And so it just seems that 
you and I, we should get rid of the junk before that happens, right? That you and I should, yeah, we should work hard at getting certain things right in our life. And so he says, listen, be aware that God's wrath is coming. You're gonna pay the price for this. And, and not only does this mean things in eternity, but you keep screwing around like this and I keep screwing around with these sexual things. Let me tell you something, what's gonna happen is this, is that, that we're gonna pay a price right here, right now. We're gonna have uh, broken relationships. Our, our marriages are gonna struggle and suffer. You wouldn't even believe how many people I talk to because pornography is in the middle of their marriage and it is destroying the marriage. People think that it brings love into the marriage. It doesn't, it kills love. Porn kills love every single time. It does, and, and you think about how many people end up with babies outside of wedlock and they get tied to people that they, that they never intended to tie life with, but they did because of a moment, right? And so God says, boy, we're gonna incur uh, uh, judgment if we're not careful with some of this stuff. It's gonna hurt our lives. And so he warns us against that. And then he says this, um, he says, you used to walk in these ways in the life that you once lived but you're not that anymore. You used to be this way, but you're not that anymore. When you come to Christ, remember we had that Tupperware out there and it says that when he comes in, he pushes the sin out of us. But the problem is, is that we keep pulling it back into our life, right? We keep yanking it back along with us. We keep going back. And let me tell you something. I think almost every one of us is the same. Uh, there is a huge part of our, our heart, a huge part of our life that says, I want to do it right. I want to know God. I want to love God. I want to follow God. And uh, there's great joy in that for you. But there are these little pieces that hold on to us. And we keep going back to them and dragging them back into our life. And Paul is just saying, once and for all, you can't live with these things. And these things can't live in you any longer. you got to put them to death. And it says, uh, but now you must get rid of a whole new list. And he gives us literally a whole new list of things to worry about. Things that, that, that can hurt us. And Paul doesn't just throw these things out because he's a killjoy. He's saying these are the things that take you from the heart of God. And so he gives us this list. He says, now you must also get rid of um, these things. Anger. Now listen to this list. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Anger rage, malice. All of these have to do with the way that we treat one another. Anger is this is a simple kind of underlying tone of negativity in our life. It's just, it's just ha having this chip on our shoulder that we walk through life with, right? Uh, rage is this idea that we cannot control our temper, that, we, that somebody crosses us, somebody does something wrong to us, and uh, we just fly off on the handle, you know? We just, we just let them have a, a, a mouthful, right? And, because nobody's gonna cross us. Uh, this idea is that there's no grace in our life. There's no hope for anybody else in our life. It's, it's we think we're, that we're in charge and the world revolves around us. So he says this idea of rage, malice, uh, and slander. Malice is this idea of, of turning that anger into, into viciousness that is meant to destroy somebody. Slander is taking your words and killing them with your words. And then he uses something that, honestly, it's found in our church all the time. Simple, filthy language. And you know what that is. I don't need to list things off to you. Uh, there's, a, there's a decent way to talk about things and then there's a crude way to talk about things. There's, there's uh, words that we can choose that are really meant to be a curse. They're really meant to be uh, uh, demeaning towards somebody else. And, 
And, and listen, in our culture, it's crazy. You know, people go, it's just words, it's just words. I hear Christian people go, it's just words. What's the big deal? Who cares? You know, it's just a set of words. And you know what? You're right to some degree that uh, words aren't what sends us to heaven or hell. Of course not. But, but words reflect heaven and hell in our own heart, right? Words reflect how we treat people, uh, reflects of where we're at with Jesus. And, and there's another passage in the scripture that says, uh, with the mouth, we praise God. We sing to God. We come into church and it's like, you know, praise God. And we sing these songs about heaven coming down and all this kind of thing. And, and then we go out and because somebody makes us mad, we say, you mother. And then, you know, we just let it fly at them. And then the scripture says, this should not be with you. Out of the mouth, the uh, cursings and blessings should not both flow. He says, pick one or the other because your heart is supposed to reflect God all of the time, all of the time. And it's hard to do, especially for a guy like me. I, uh, I get pretty fired up sometimes, you know, and I wanna give people, you know, my full mind sometimes. And God says, if I do that, I'm dumb. If God says I do that, it's like the old man living in me. If God says I do that, God says if I do that, um, I'm giving full vent to my old life, not my new life. Not who I am today, not who I want to be, not who God wants me to be. And so he says, he says, put these things to death. Get rid of them. Put them out of your life before you can put something good on into your life. And then he says this, verse 9, it's amazing. He says, do not lie to each other since you have taken off the old practices, right? And so the truth is, is that lying comes easy. But lying destroys relationship. And if you look at all of these things, rage and malice and slander and filthy words and, and lying, all of it destroys relationship. All of it beats somebody down. All of it doesn't, it does not lift people up. It knocks them down. And God says, man, you're a follower of Jesus. Knock it off. These things should not be part of your life. In your old life, you used to lie your way through work. He says, don't be like that. He says, in your old life, you used to lie through your relationships. Knock it off. He said, in your old life, you would lie to your friends if it was convenient. But he says, you will never be the man of God or the woman of God if you treat people like this. And then it says this. He says, put on the new self. Listen to this. He says, put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge and the image of its creator. He says, there's a new you that is supposed to reflect God because what Christ has done for you. He says, there's a new you that is supposed to reflect Jesus to the world. And so this becomes really tough because when people see you, do they see Jesus? And when people see me, do they see Jesus? And I wanna be honest with you, my answer is sometimes, sometimes. I try, um, but sometimes I screw it up. Sometimes I do exactly what Paul says here. I reach back into my old life and I bring it right in. I reach back into the old man inside me and I just bring it back in. And Paul seems to be indicating that, that this has to be a battle every day in our life, that we got to choose to put these things to death, that it's an action in our life. It's an ongoing action. It's an ongoing verb in our life. It's not something that we just do once because of what Christ has done for us. It's what we do all the time because of what Christ has done for us. We are meant to reflect the image of God. I want to, I want to introduce you uh, to another friend of mine uh, who, who's really lived through some of these struggles. And uh, I just want you to hear his story. Check it out.
Growing up, I was always just taught that being a man was uh, difficult. It was, uh, you know, being hard. It was being tough. It was being foul. It was being angry. It was getting your way because the world wasn't going to get anything or give anything but harshness. For me, it was um, difficult because I grew up and I wasn't that big of a kid. I was very small. I was very fragile. But uh, I went into the Marine Corps at 18. It started working out hard, and what happened was was my anger level just absolutely just brought to the to the top. And here I'm seeing the world as what it you know is like. It's here's the world supposed to be an oyster, and that wasn't it for me at all. You know, it was it was difficult. It was harsh. It was I had to hustle for everything that I had. Uh, it was very difficult um, to grow up. Um, nothing was provided, you know, the basic necessities of what, what you would normally see as this is natural, this is, this is what a child should have, I did not have. Um, and, it, and, it, and, it, and it made me angry. The, the way my life was, was like I was like a predator and the world was my prey. I did some things that uh, I'm not proud of, that's hard to admit. The manipulation, the lying, the stealing, the anger. There was times where I would come out, you know, into a situation, into the world, and, you know, I was in absolute destruction mode. Um, it didn't matter what was in my way. Uh, I was my way or no way. They say with great strength comes great power, but uh, I was definitely strong, but I definitely was not powerful. I was broken. Um, and didn't even know it. You know, I did so many things in my life that I just, I wasn't forgiven. I, d I didn't know what forgiveness looked like. Um, and, and I was angry. I was lost. I was upset. Um, I, and I took it out on everybody. It wasn't one thing in particular. It was many things that just added up, and it was like peeling back an onion, trying to figure this out, you know, of what the rage was inside of me. But it was definitely prevalent, you know, it was, it was, it was there. It was um, something that was dominating my life. And I didn't know how to get out from underneath it. Uh, I tried to try and be a nicer person and that failed as well. You know, it was, I was destructive. You know, there were situations where if there, if somebody tested me, then I would destroy. There was no way that you were going to get something over on me. It was me that was going to get something over on you. The language that I would use towards people was intimidation. It was fierce. It was ungodly. It was the opposite of what my life is now. In 2011, um, I, I was hopeless. I had hit rock bottom. Uh, there was nothing inside of me, like I said, but uh, just wrongful doing um, and a lot of regret, a lot of hostility. What made me start to come was, was the brokenness. It was the lack of hope. It was the ununderstanding. It was the seeing people have a life that, that I desired, but I couldn't get it myself. I started coming to Metro, something changed inside of me. Uh, <laughs> there was 
rebuilding, there was a forgiveness to start with. You see, because I felt like I was unforgiven, and because I was unforgiven, I had no hope. And the first time that I was saved, my, literally my salvation, my relationship with Christ began, is when the first time that I touched the Bible at a men's group here at Metro, and I realized how broke I really was. Putting, putting my sin to death was very difficult. Um, there was a lot of destruction that I had created in life. And going back and revisiting that, it really started at Renew um, here at Metro. I came to Mike Hotsburg and uh, I was absolutely broken. Here I had been saved and forgiven, but now the, the work needed to start. And I didn't really know where to put my, my next step into. So I came to Mike and he said, you know, come to Renew. And I blindly just went into Renew not knowing what it was. But I was able to start to see that uh, there was some work ahead of me. And I'm not saying like it was like overnight. It was, it was a process. Renew was a process. It was going through 12 steps one year of committing myself to every Tuesday and saying, I'm going to do this because I, I, I don't have anywhere else to turn but to Jesus. If, if God would have given an all six years, seven years of, of my salvation to me at once, I wouldn't have been able to handle it. I wouldn't have been able to abominate. I would have been able to steadfast where God had had me. I would have been broken and, and, and just beat up and bruised and battered. Uh, for the rest of my life, but God works in mysterious ways and he showed a loving grace to me that I could recognize for the first time in my life. You know, I use this term, it's called don't be that guy. Um, and it reminds me all the time to not be that guy because I was that guy that was destructive, that was harmful, that was wrong. Um, I was the broken guy that uh, was crude and foul and messed up and shameful. But now I'm a different man. I am a man of God. My family is influenced by me and Jesus Christ through me. And I got a message for you. Don't be that guy. And so Paul gives us one last verse, and it, it, it's sort of different, and it doesn't seem like it fits what he's been talking about, but it really does. And let me just read it to you, then, and then we'll kind of wrap our minds around it a little bit. He says, here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in awe. He says, but here, when we find ourselves in the Tupperware gospel, um, all of us have a past, all of us have these struggles, but he says here, 
Uh, labels don't matter. So if you are an angry person, that label doesn't matter. If you are a sexual adulterer, that label no, no longer matters to you. If you struggle with lust or greed or uh, coveting with your eyes, he says those labels no longer matter. If you struggle with slander and, and filthy tongue and that's been your past, he says those things don't matter anymore. There's a new you because Christ is all. He covers it all. He, he changes it all. He lets us grow past it all. He helps us to conquer all. He says, Christ is all. And listen, listen, here it is. And Christ is in all. And guess what? That means he's in you too.